What I see sometimes is that we're not aware of how our voices, how our, um, what we tend to talk about, how it can potentially cause harm. Hello everyone, welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Radically Loved. I am a special host today. My name is Tessa Tovar, not Rosie, as you can probably tell. Um, and so I'm, I'm really honored and excited to bring you this conversation with Linda Sparrow. She is a an epic yoga teacher. She is an epic writer, and um, we're going to dive into her work life and all the things that she draws meaning from, that she's passionate about teaching about, and um, how she got to that place in, in the first place. So welcome to the show, Linda. Thank Thanks, you. Tessa. I'm so happy to be here and uh, happy to talk about our favorite subject. Yeah. Right. <laughs> radically loved. Indeed. Yes. Radically loved. Well, and what I, um, what I find so cool about you and your work is like, I have such a passion for writing and yoga myself, and you've made this, um, career out of blending the two together. So I wonder if we could start there with how, how your path, how your writing and your yoga path intersected. What, how did that happen? Interesting. So my yoga path, and I think I've probably spoken about this before, didn't start on my mat. It just, it started in, um, in meditation, really. Mm. Um, you know, and, and it was back in the day of a lot of, you know, drugs, sex, rock and roll, whatever. And I was living in Santa Barbara and having a lot of issues around body image. And um, mm. I went to college weighing 85 pounds. So you can imagine, not super healthy. Um, and I was going down the path of, <clears throat> of even worsening that um, disconnect between me and my body. And I met a teacher, a professor who embodied the, this connection between East and West. His mom was a, a former, um, Spanish nun, a Catholic nun, and his dad was a, a former Brahmin priest from oh, India. Wow. I know. And he just took a, a sort of liking to me. I think he sort of felt sorry for me. And and he would, we would walk the um, gardens in Mission Santa Barbara, and he would just chant and he'd tell me stories about, um, you know, coming from Indian mythology and the Vedas. And I just, it just, lit me up I and so I ended up becoming you know going through TM transcendental meditation because it was free and because I could like create some weird 
um, wall hanging out of yarn or something for the LA um, TM Center. And mantra meditation, which is part of what transcendental meditation is, just spoke to me. It mm -hmm. just, I'm, I'm a lucid dreamer anyway, and, and I was incredibly intuitive, but I had pushed all that away, pushed it away, pushed it away. And suddenly in mantra, it just moved me into my body, just grounded me. And, and I can't say that that saved me. I mean, it probably overall saved my life, but it just deepened my resolve to discover who I was. Um, mm. So I ended up, you know, long story short, getting married too early, leaving Santa Barbara, coming back to my own being, separating, getting a divorce and ending up in Berkeley where I met a Tibetan teacher. And he said to me, stop all of that mantra stuff. You're just tripping out on it. You, you are, you know, you're having fun with it. That's not what this practice is about. Come back to your breath, come back, you know? And I thought, oh, that's so boring. <laughs> but I did and right. And it sort of furthered my path. And then in 1991, 1992, I went to Yoga Journal and I got a job as manager of Yoga Journal. And I'd already been in magazines and I'd already sort of started writing. And I started doing asana, not because I wanted to, but because it was offered. And I was already like in jazz dancing and, and ballet. And suddenly I was doing these, these asana, these body things, which I hated. I thought asana was just like the worst ever. And, then, and it's so ironic because the first book I ever wrote was with Patricia Walden, who's an Iyengar teacher, brilliant, brilliant teacher and friend. But before I started that, like eight years before I started that, I thought, Iyengar, I can't do this. I can't, I can't do this to my body. And then I met a teacher who was so soulful and so... It was like a combination of heart and alignment. And I trusted her. And the moment that I trusted her touch and her presence and her, her wisdom, my body responded to yoga and it became a lifelong practice. Mm -hmm. um, and in the middle of all that, my writing started to really get more connected with my heart, with my, with my own wisdom, with my own, not so much on what I knew, but as I teach now all the time, it got connected to what I wondered about, what I wanted to linger over, what, what, what spoke to me in, in a way that I wanted to continue that conversation. So that became part of my journey. And I'd kept journals ever since I was a little kid, but this there's a difference between keeping a journal and allowing your writing to be public, right? And so mm -hmm. I, I became writing more and more. And then I started writing books. And I left Yoga Journal to write more. And over the years, I've just become sort of known as, as my friend Carrie Kelly says, as some sort of book doula. You know, I love birthing. <laughs> I love helping people ex move their passion not even a passion but move their ideas and their wonderments and what they want to amplify what they want to focus on out into the world because we all have a story to tell and we're the only ones that know how to tell it 
mm -hmm. right? And, and sometimes we get stuck in it. Sometimes we get stuck in, in our, uh, am I worthy? Do I have anything to say? And sometimes we get in our own way when we try to say it. So that's kind of, and, you know, so that's kind of been me in the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. And what comes up for me is that there's a deep connection between moving inward in our spiritual practice and, em and emerging from that inner wisdom onto the page. Mm -hmm. And one of my old teachers used, always used to say, it's a, it's a process of listening to what wants to be known. And for me, it's, it's that process of listening to what wants to be known and then bringing forth what needs to be told. And mm -hmm. that's, that's the marriage really of writing and spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't divide a yoga practice from my spiritual practice because it's just all there, right? Yeah, yeah. And I imagine that's evolved a lot over the years. I mean, you talk about going from hating asana to really integrating it into your life and, and um, studying Iyengar yoga. And I wonder what it looks like today. How is it? I mean, it, it's ever evolving, right? But do you have a daily ritual, a daily practice today that I you lean do. on? I do. I do. And I went on to study with many different teachers. I mean, I consider so many people in our community as my teachers. I'm always learning from them, right? And so I went on to work with Sarah Powers and Yin Yoga. I went on to, you know, work with Sean Korn and I mean, just uh, Sharon um, Gannon and, and Cindy Lee. I mean, so many of my teachers, right? And so mm -hmm. each along the way, I've been able to absorb into my own being, I think. So now, I don't have a really extensive asana practice. I mean, obviously I, I'm in my body, I wanna be healthy. My practice in yoga really begins in the morning when I awaken and my inquiry is, how am I doing and what do I need? Mm. Um, and so I start generally with a five minute yin, yin pose, whatever it might be, right? And I, want, I just wanna inquire what do I need to find more joy? What do I need to be more present in my day, in my life? How can I, what do I need to participate in bringing more um, connection and joy into the world? Mm -hmm. And then I always try to separate out my work and it's, you know, it's been muddy and, and stuff during the, you know, I mean, we're all like, what? But <laughs> still, I try to separate my life in work because I, you know, I am, I have a lot of writing clients right now, a lot of people who have so much to say. Mm -hmm. So I'm working there. And then, you know, I have a full life of family and, and I have two hilariously wonderful grandkids and, you know, people that I want to spend time with. So in the middle of that, between those two things, I do one, at least one thing for myself in yoga. So that might mean that I put my feet up the wall. That might mean I need six sun salutes. It might mean I need something to separate out that from this. So mm -hmm. that, because part of our spiritual practice, isn't it to be fully present to allow 
us to finish, I mean, really truly finish one thing before we begin another, even not even just physically, like, okay, I'm shut down my computer, I'm done for the day. But it's also my mind, I, I need a break from trying to process and remember what I'm supposed to say and what about tomorrow and did I do all this stuff right? I need to stop that too and say, and here I am here. So that's part of my practice as well. And then before I go to sleep, I um, around, if I can, around 4.30 or 5, I'll do a short yoga nidra practice to remind my body what it, what it means to prepare to sleep. Mm. So pretty yeah. simple, really. <laughs> yeah, but such nice bookends to the day, starting your day with intention and ending the day with intention and um, you know, it sounds like you have a nice or, or practice a, a nice work-life balance. And I say practice, right? right? Because it's a daily practice, especially right now in our lives when we're working from home and we're balancing all the things we want to do and spending time with our loved ones and creating it's that so space hard. for ourselves. Yeah. It's really hard. And, you know, it's hard for me too, because it's hard for me to know how to set boundaries around mm my work um, because when people ask I mean people are really um, whatever their needs are whatever um, my gift is it's hard for me to turn things away for two reasons one is as a freelancer and you probably know this as a freelancer what if that opportunity doesn't come again right, <laughs> right? yeah and yeah. secondly there's a lot of really interesting stuff out there that that um, I'm happy to to be part of but then what happens is I get overwhelmed um, and I don't really know how to set those boundaries so that's when I really have to return to my practice right mm -hmm. yeah and so when you talk about um, I know you're passionate about the the deeper practices of yoga the deeper um, lessons of yoga is there is there a particular sutra you're drawing on is there a particular piece of philosophy that you're referring to or could you speak to that a little bit sure I mean it's kind of it's kind of all of it but mm -hmm. if I can I think that one of the things I was thinking about this morning and just thinking about our time together was I got an email from you and it and it said you know okay radically loved where this is what's happening today and this is how we're going to connect and I thought it's radically loved. That is so interesting to me because we talk a lot about radical self-love. Like one of my favorite people, and I, I can't even presume to say that she's my teacher, but I'm, I follow her a lot is Sonia Renee Taylor. Mm -hmm. And she, her Body is Not an Apology book is, is super important, of course, in our lives. And she talks about this concept of radical self-love. And when I saw radically loved, I realized that people say all the time that, so radically self-love to me is part of the trio of tapas, vajaya, and ishvara pranadana. Mm -hmm. That means tapas means not just the willpower to show up and, and the work that we have to do and the, the engagement that we commit to, but it also means simplicity. It means paring down, pulling apart, releasing things so that we're looking at the essence of who we are. 
And it's a lot of work to then move into Svajaya, the self-reflection, self-awareness. That's so much work to stay the course, to, to, to show up for ourselves, even though you know, we might not feel good about ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So radically loved, for me, people will say, okay, in order for me to be radically loved, I have to radically love myself. And I think that's true. And I think that's not true. Mm -hmm. I think that for me to be held in love by a community, by a family, by a, something bigger than myself, allows me to understand that I'm worthy of love and to bring that worthiness back into my own inquiry of how I am in relationship to myself. And so it gives me a taste that I might not have been willing to accept in myself, but to be, to be shown and reflected and mirrored back to me that I'm worthy allows me to want to do the work. Does that make sense? To connect deeper to myself. Yes, absolutely. And when you say radically loved, so when I don't feel worthy, when I don't have a container, radically loved means that I'm safe, that I am connected, and that I can be in something bigger than myself. When I don't, when I feel that, I feel a sense of spaciousness, a sense of, of, um, freedom within that container to be who, who I am and to be caught and to be held accountable and, and all of those things. But when I don't have it, when I don't feel worthy, when I feel separate, when I don't feel safe, I get contracted mm -hmm. by fear. And the more that we contract, the more that we can't allow anything else in that might feel like a threat to us. And those things could be anything from anything that's different than ourselves, mm -hmm. right? And so what I'm seeing right now, and, and I don't wanna spend a lot of time talking about our community, but what I, what I see sometimes is that we're not aware of how our voices, how our, um, what we tend to talk about, how it can, potentially cause harm and in the sense of being radically loved we have fewer opportunities to cause harm because within this spaciousness of spiritual practice hopefully and it's you know i've had moments of this within this 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 spaciousness of spiritual practice we have room for, for everything because we realize, you know, not that whole thing about we are one. I mean, that's whatever it is. But what, what it is truly is that I can imagine the pain and suffering and, and the, of others. I, I don't have their same experience and I will never have that experience as a, as a cis white privileged elder woman. I won't, but in my practice, I have this 
space and the capacity of infinite love, partly because I have been shown and held and supported in safety and love. So I have that. And in my, in, within that, I can imagine how my words, my actions and my speech can firstly or, or firstly affect or actually amplify um, the beauty and the spaciousness of others, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I was in a workshop recently with Dr. Melody Moore, an old friend and from LA actually. And, and what she said, which interested me so much, is she said, we can control, we can't control our feelings, right? We can't, we can't control what comes up in our hearts and how we feel our emotions, but we can control our actions, our speech and our thoughts. And it reminded me of being like a little kid and I'm like a classic middle child, codependent Irish Catholic kid, right? Mm-hmm. And I was taught by, I don't know, priests or nuns or whatever, that I could sin, not just through my actions and speech, but through my thoughts. And I thought, shit, that means that every sort of sensual, sexual feeling that I have as a young girl, oh, I have to go to confession. All these thoughts, they must be able to hear them. They must be able, I must be able to, I must be this really horrible um, person to have all these thoughts, right? Mm. So fast forward to me being with Melody this last weekend, it brought that up and it was so amusing. And then I realized that when we have thoughts, those thoughts we can't, we can control our thoughts, but we can't predict them. Our minds, and this is part of the true teachings of yoga, our minds do what our minds do. They just go on and carry on and, and move things around and bring shit up that we go, oh my God, really? I think that, right? Mm-hmm. We could, but we can control how, what our relationship is to those thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I realized without that sense of agency around my thoughts, my thoughts can end up as reality, can end up as speech, and can end up as actions that cause irreparable harm. Yeah, yeah. So that's really what some of the teachings remind us, that we have, we have a responsibility mm-hmm. to um, to know, to feel, to imagine the repercussions of what we bring forth in our minds, in our hearts, and in our voices. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Organifi. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition with high-quality ingredients and less than three grams of sugar. And back in the day when I used to travel for work and get on an airplane, I lived off of Organifi green juice. It was such a great way for me to get all of the essential superfoods that I needed to help reduce stress and reset my body. There are endless benefits to the Organifi green juice. One of the reasons why I loved taking it on the airplane is because it helped support my stress response. It helps decrease cortisol and you know it's organic and it helps reduce food cravings and it tastes 
just like plain water, you don't need to put it in a blender, which is why it was so convenient to travel with. It supported my system so well that I still take it to this day. One of the key ingredients is Moringa. Moringa has been an important part of Ayurvedic medicine for over 4,000 years. It was nicknamed the miracle plant for its ability to nourish and fight disease. It's loaded with vitamins, minerals, and all the essential amino acids and antioxidants that your body needs. It's nature's most perfect multivitamin. It's also detoxifying, anti-inflammatory, it's hormone balancing, antioxidant supports your digestion. It basically puts all of your, everything you would put in a green smoothie in your cup in like 30 seconds. And for a special offer, you can head over to Organifi.com forward slash loved to get 15% off of your first order. Head over to Organifi.com forward slash loved. That's L-O-V-E-D. And you'll get 15% off of your first order. Thank you, Organifi, for sponsoring Radically Loved. Do you want to know how long it took me to get Tori an engagement ring? Six years. This is mostly because anytime we would ever happen to go to a jewelry store, happen to see one in passing when we've been out somewhere, it's really hard for him to make a choice because there's not really a lot of choices out there for guys, unfortunately. I was on Instagram and something came up in my feed and I clicked on it and I saw this really cool black on black wedding band on a guy's hand. Then I went down the rabbit hole of the manlybands.com website and the rest is history. Well, I, I did stalker them a little bit. No, but seriously, Manly Bands has awesome wedding bands in just about every type of earthly material imaginable, uh, even from space. The first thing that we did was order the Manly ring sizer from Manly Bands to ensure that his ring fit perfectly. Once I got his size, it was time for the fun part. Manly Bands has an insane collection of materials to choose from. Gold, wood, antler, steel, dinosaur bone, and even the meteorites that killed them. That makes me really sad. So you or your man or woman can choose from a curated collection like Jack Daniels Whiskey Barrel Collection. And if you're feeling a little bit more creative, you can customize the band of your choosing. You can choose the material, the inlay, the sleeve, and the finish. So once you've made your selection, Manly Bands offers free shipping worldwide, a 30-day exchange policy, and a free warranty. And this was part of the copy for this ad that really cracked me up. So while there might be a 50% chance of your marriage working out, there's a 100% chance that he's going to love his band, and he did, and so did I. And in fact, if I don't get to keep him, I will definitely ask for the band back. To order his Manly Band and get 21% off plus a free silicone ring, Go to manlybands.com forward slash loved. That's manlybands.com forward slash loved. And you'll get 21% off. A special thanks to Manly Bands for being a supporter of Radically Loved Radio. And as I listen to you talk about this, this concept, I, it, it draws my mind towards, you know, think about yourself sitting in meditation and having your thoughts come up and kind of watching them float by like clouds, practicing a parigraha, which is the concept of non-attachment, right? (laughs) Um, And so I wonder if, you know, how you think about that in relation to to what you just said, a parigraha, the practice of letting go, non-attachment, and in particular, when it comes to our thoughts, whether we judge them as evil or bad or good and helpful, you know, both sides of the coin, if we attach ourselves to that particular thought, um, you know, maybe it's a little bit limiting. Right. What happens? Right. I think two things. I think 
um, before directly answering that, when we're talking about Svajaya, the, the idea of self-awareness, which is part of what our meditation practice invites us to do, right? Gain insight into to whom we, who we are and, and what we wonder about, what we think about, what we... Um, but Svajaya, in my mind, if we stay there, it becomes self-absorption. Mm. And we don't understand how we could cause pain or cause or bring joy because we're, we're, we're locked in this self-realization which becomes self-absorption. And so yoga says, it's, it's this idea of surrendering um, and letting go, not in the sense of, I'm gonna let go of everything I don't like about myself, but I'm going to let go of the need to hold on mm -hmm. so tightly to what I think is right, mm -hmm. right? And, and I'm going to let go of the parts of me that it's more like I'm going to let go of, of judgment and I'm going to invite every part of me to the table. And so in meditation, to me, those thoughts come and everybody who, who um, works with me or who, who studied with me know that I have this mantra that is, isn't that interesting? Oh, I, I love that. I, yes. Because then I don't judge myself so much. Yes. So I can let things come up and go, whoa, here you are again, me and you. Wow, isn't that interesting? Mm. I thought you left a long time ago. Mm. So one of the things that meditation teaches us about grasping is I can get locked into that thought and it's going and going and going and going, right? And I, I don't even realize how many minutes have gone by, right? And all of a sudden I go, whoa, thinking. <laughs> at that moment, at that moment, I have cut the ties to that thought. It no longer controls me. I'm no longer holding on tightly. It's gone. Even if it is only gone, for a moment, I have cut ties with that. And I have come back to my breath. I have come back to the present moment and I've come back to love if I choose to. Mm -hmm. If I've chosen in my practice that I am choosing love in that moment, I have chosen it. Does that make sense? Yes, I love that. And in idea of a parigraha, I can't even remember who sort of suggested this to me or got my mind thinking about this, but it's not so much grasping on or, or not grasping or letting go of things that we can let go of, but what, how is it that we can let go of things that we yearn for so desperately? Mm -hmm. Can we also let go of that? Can mm -hmm. we let go of all of the ways that we've been taught that we have to be or have to do in order to get that or in order to be better, to be kinder, to be, to be more flexible, to be more balanced, to do awesome, you know, do back bends, whatever. Can, can we let go? And, and as I said the other day in a class, can we just open our hands and, and release our fists, because that's what we're grasping onto so tightly. Mm -hmm. And in and, and opening our fists, just, just that act of doing that, just in this moment, my shoulders relaxed, 
my jaw relaxed. And again, I went from contraction back to spaciousness, even if it's a little bit. And even if I have to do that in a 20 minute sit over and over and over again, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, and that is that is the practice of meditation, right? I hear so often I can't meditate because my mind won't stop moving or I can't sit still or I sit and I get anxious or I just want to wiggle around and that is that is the practice, right? Don't ever think that you've failed at your practice because just the noticing Mm -hmm. your anxiety, just saying, like I say, oh, it's you again. All right, come on in, you know, and just that moment of noticing, it's a meditation practice. It's it's a mindful practice, right? And so I'm going to sit here for a while. And, and even if I only, Sharon Gannon used to say this, sit for two minutes, you're good. Mm-hmm. And if it's not feeling like you can settle, note that and say, you know what? This today, right in this moment, I'm struggling. So I'm going to do something else. I'll try again. You know, this meditation teacher used to say to me, Sparrow, if you would just sit down. You know, when I was like all over, just sit down. Right. And that's, and that's really what it's about. And then I think this is also wonderful. the, The idea of, okay, I'm anxious. I'm feeling it. So I close my eyes and my eyes keep opening and I keep, you know, whatever I'm doing. And all of a sudden, of course, the story comes about why I'm anxious Mm. and all of this stuff. And I'm like having these chats in my head. And, and of course it's because of this, this, and suddenly if I can stop it and come back to the present, all right, can I, what will happen to my anxiety if I loosen my jaw? What will happen to my anxiety if I bring my awareness down into my sitting bones? Does it change? Yes or no? Okay, if I open my hands, like I say, does that change my experience? And we notice that. And then those two or five minutes are up and we say, okay, that's enough. Because there's no judgment about it's just practice. <laughs> we sit down again when we have an opportunity to sit down again or lie down or, or go for a walk. Or, you know, when my kids were really young, sometimes the only time I could meditate was in the bathtub at 1130 at night because <laughs> yeah. no one was bothering me. <laughs> I love that Well, and I love the idea. I think I'm going to adopt this. Isn't that interesting as a response to whatever it is that comes up? You know, that really, for me, when I think about that practice of taking um, the observer seat, we talk about taking the seat of the observer and watching the mind or watching the body and and watching what happens, um, asking myself or saying to myself, isn't that interesting? And being curious about it feels like a very tangible way to move into the seat of observer. And when I first started studying yoga and and the practice and the philosophy of, to me, that was such a, it felt like such an ethereal concept of what does that mean? I I'm, I'm Tessa, I'm this body, you know, I thought this is me and I still struggle with that. So I appreciate you sharing that and it's such a helpful way to 
tangibly practice being the observer. And, you know, it also, I think, prevents us from being so judgmental. Just be kind. Mm -hmm. Just be kind, you know. And, and there's so much stuff out there and there's so many opportunities to not be kind. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the kinder that we can be to ourselves, the more spacious and the more freedom that we have to be kind and gentle to others and generous to others. Mm -hmm. um, and again, and it works in reverse, the, the more that we allow others to be kind um, and generous to us, the more we realize that we have an infinite capacity to be kind. We have an infinite capacity to love and an infinite capacity to hold the suffering of the world within us. So we think about, I mean, you think about Tong Len, which is an ancient practice of taking in the suffering of others and expanding outward the gift that you have to give, right? And so if you, if you take in the suffering of someone and then you exhale a sense of joy or connection or, or groundedness or love or whatever it is that you have in that moment to give, that's that beautiful exchange, isn't it? And we have an, an infant capacity to do that. And then if you think about people like Tracy Stanley, who just came out with her book on, um, on Yoga Nidra, right? Such a special, incredibly special woman and friend. Yoga Nidra does that. Yoga Nidra allows us, talk about, isn't that interesting? It allows us <laughs> to dive so deeply that we we can be in the cave of our heart. We can be in that place in us that without a doubt shows us under all of the confusion and the messiness and the, and the crazy shit in our lives, under all of that, we realize that we're love and we realize our capacity to be love and to receive love. Mm -hmm. And Yoga yeah. Nidra really, really, shows that up for us, right? Yeah, that's yes, absolutely. And that has me thinking, um, I was listening to a talk you did at a wanderlust um, convention yeah, sometime back. Ago, right? yeah, it, was, it was a bit, it was a bit <laughs> ago, but you were talking about healing and transformation through yoga and, um, how sometimes if there is intense trauma body, the body is just not a safe place. And so, when, when we're working with that kind of experience in the body and we're wanting to get to that heart-centered healing place, what do we do? How do we work with that? It's a really interesting question. And I think it's really um, individual for sure. I think that one thing that yoga allows us to do is to experiment and come in and come out. So there, we never have the sense that we have to enter something and stay there, right? Mm -hmm. So, and asana does that for us and I can speak to that in a minute. And also when someone is deeply in trauma and is separate, there is um, either no relationship with the body or a very frightened and, and um, triggered relationship in our body, even the, the, the smallest sense of agency 
that we um, have can be really quite illuminating and empowering. So I've, I've worked with people where literally just inhaling and lifting your leg up and exhaling and putting it down is revolutionary. It's mm -hmm. transformative. I have a sense of agency, right? Or like I said, like not even closing your eyes, but as you, as you tense your jaw and release your jaw, is there a difference? What does that feel like, right? Mm -hmm. And then to go in asana, um, for those who feel able to do that, I, I know that in certain poses, if I allow myself to enter into a pose and stay in it for the inquiry, there are things that surface that I didn't even know that I was aware of that will bring me to anger or to tears or to, right? And I get to decide because I have agency around it. I get to decide, no, this is too much. Or you're at my table, but I can't talk to you right now. I can't engage you. I can see you. I can, I can love you and I can't engage. So I need you to, you know, I need to not engage you. And so yoga, both in a, in a physical and an emotional level for me, um, allows me to test out my relationship with my body. Mm. I, I don't know if that's really an answer. Yes. Oh, that's so helpful. I think it's, it's just a reminder that, um, well, the, the word agency that you, you get to decide and that your yoga practice is a safe container to, to practice the things that are really scary and, or maybe even dangerous for you to practice outside of the safe space of the yoga room. Okay. And what is really important in that sentence too, is that, and I think Rodney Yee said this, I, I wrote a book a few years ago called Yoga at Home. And one of the things that he said so succinctly is that yoga is not yoga until it's personal mm. and it's never personal until you take it home, right? And so it's both in the safety of community. If you feel safe and have a community of, of like-minded yogis and you feel safe within that community, yoga can really help you connect and create a deeper and hopefully more loving relationship with yourself, with your body, with your mind and your heart. If you don't feel safe, of course, that's not a place for you to investigate. But by taking it home and in the privacy of your own mat, your own cushion, your own safe space, that's also an opportunity for you to feel. And so you might start out, for those starting out in personal practice, I might find a, a, a video online, you know, a, a YouTube or go to one of the um, downloadable things, right? Like Glow or Yoga anytime or any of those things. And I might start practicing for like 20 minutes, but then maybe a week or two passes. And I think, I don't want to do that. What would feel like, what does my shoulder want me to do? What does my, it's like Angela Farmer says, every part of me has a voice. So what am I listening mm. to? My, my shoulder saying, no, 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 this is, I would rather kind of see what's in here before I start getting into these shapes, right? Mm -hmm. My jaw is like, oh, okay, what is this saying about me? What do I, what do I need to do in order to find a little bit more space and freedom within me? 
okay, I don't really need to do that, but what I'm yearning for is this. So that's how our practice becomes personal, right? It's like listening to what wants to be known, listening, and then allowing whatever needs to be known to be heard. Yeah. Thank you, Linda. I love that. I want to be mindful of your time. I so appreciate you showing up and speaking with me today. So Rosie usually asks the question um, last, what does it mean for you to be radically loved? But you really just like intuitively answered that already. So um, what I think I'd like to ask you for your your last question is if there is anything else that you want to share, any words of wisdom, I love your personal motto that you shared of, isn't that interesting? Um, But what else? Anything? I, I just think that we can't, we can't separate our practice from our life. Obviously, I mean, people say that all the time. But what that really means is that we have to be so careful with our words, with our thoughts, with our actions, so that in being radically loved, in finding safety and spaciousness, that we, that our practice is what allows us to accept and and um, allow things that that we've never thought about before, right? And so we are less likely to do harm to others. And I want people to, I mean, there's been a lot of things happening in our community and I just want us to return to the idea of love, that everything that we, how we approach each other, how we approach what we don't understand is through that sense of, isn't that interesting? What does that mean? How can I love more? And maybe that'll help. Yeah. Thank you, Linda. I love that. It's a perfect ending. Oh, it's so much fun to be able to meet you and spend time with you. Yes, likewise. And for, well, actually, so one last thing for anyone that's wanting to get in touch with you or follow you in, in, in your journey in writing and yoga, what's the best way to find you? Well, right now my website is being redone. And so I think it's probably going to be in another month or two, but, but you know, I'm at, I think it's, yeah, it's lindasparrow.com. And I spell my name with an E at the end of the, of the bird. Um, but also, um, no, I mean, I, I'm really happy for people to email me if they have questions or want to connect at linda at lindasparrow.com. Um, I love listening to other people's journeys. I love engaging when I can. Um, I think in the fall, I'll return to doing my online class that combines yoga and the teachings with our ability to share, to find our voice, amplify our voice and share our stories. So that might be coming up sooner. Great. Perfect. Well, we'll look forward to that. Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you again. It was my pleasure. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us, message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes, write a review. We love doing this. So please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.